Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. Today's show is about creating a fictional world in which you and other authors can write and publish books. Our guest today is Martha Carr, who you may remember from the five or six episode Martha Carr experiment last year. In that experiment, Martha went through this process of rapidly releasing a number of thrillers and then shared her data, sales data, email list data, social media, everything involved in the, the launch process, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of everything that happened during that. And it was a fascinating series. A lot of people really enjoyed it. Uh, and one of the things that Martha mentioned a lot of times as we went through that series is the idea that all of the information that was coming back was just data. And she would use that data to make decisions going forward. And she did. The Martha Carr experiment was not a huge success, so she decided to try something else. And that's pretty much what we're going to talk with her about today. Martha and her partner, Michael Anderley, just began publishing books in the recently launched Orsaren universe, a universe that over the next couple of months will have books written by five different authors. So in this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the creation of the universe discussing topics like creating the universe name, selecting the core group of authors to write the books, uh, the creation of art, covers, storylines, the social media community, the website, and we'll even get into things like the technology involved in managing storylines and how the various authors work together to create their books. Is this something you've been considering? I've, I've spoken with a number of you who are curious about the idea of writing in uh, a universe or a world created by another author. It's becoming sort of a, a thing right now in the indie community. Uh, or maybe you've already reached the level where you're considering authors to write in a world that you've already created or will be creating. In our examples today, we're talking primarily about science fiction and fantasy universes, but the same can be done and is being done in the genres uh, in which you write as well. Uh, before we get started, I want to give a, a special shout out to everyone that's along the Gulf Coast of, of Texas. It's just what a devastating thing that's going on there. It's, it's, it just breaks my heart to see what's going on on, in, on television and to hear some of, of what we're able to hear on, on social media. Uh, having been through hurricanes, it's it's just, it's unimaginable, the, you know, the idea of going without power for days, weeks, uh, things like that, the things that we all rely upon power for, uh, hot water certainly being one of, one of the many things. Anyway, um, you know, we are thinking about you, uh, we are praying for you, and uh, we, we certainly hope that you're all back online, everyone is safe, and that life gets back to normal as quickly as possible. All right, let's get this one started. My first question to Martha was to ask when she and her partner, Michael Anderley, first started taking the actions that led to the Orisaran universe. It was at the beginning of the year. I was talking to Michael about what to do next, and he called me back, and I had mentioned to him that I have successfully ghostwritten some books for other people. We had just been talking in general about that, and I said uh, I was 
quite good at imitating other people's speech patterns so that that's the uh, a good ghostwriter you shouldn't know they were ever there and people should be telling the person man i didn't know you could write and so he called me back and said uh would you be interested in writing some books together in urban fantasy because i had already told him i was interested in that and that's kind of where it started. The funny thing is, Micah was talking about only right initially. He and I just doing a few books together, and I heard universe. He claims that's what happened. <laughs> I, I believe that. I believe that. Now, let's, let's take a step back. You and I did a, I think it was six-episode Martha Carr experiment thing. And one of the things you said over and over again throughout that series was, it's just data. Um, all of these things, you're trying to sell these books. These were thrillers. And you tried the rapid release thing. You you released quickly. You were trying to build momentum. It did not play out the way you expected it to. And you really did treat it as just data. And it's like, okay, I need to do something different. It's not like I'm a miserable failure. I, I can't write. None of those things. It's just like, okay, this didn't work move on. What's the next thing? And the next thing right. is Oris Aaron. Right. Yes. A word I made up. And why did you make up the word? Because that's, that's an important part of the creation of a universe. Right. So uh, I took a cue from Michael who said that he made up Cartharian for Cartharian Gambit and uh, looked it up to make sure that uh, if you Google it, it's the only thing that comes up. And so I looked for a word with a softer sound uh, that sounded like elves might live there. And uh, if you search it in Google, it was the only word that came up. Okay. Uh, give us a broad overview of the Orisaran universe. Uh, it is in a dimension that rotates close to Earth every uh, 25,800 years. And it has magic that emanates from its core at such a high level that that's pretty much how the planet operates. Earth in our series, in our world, um, has magic as well, but it's at a low level until the two worlds come to that point where they meet and the gates open for uh, thousands, for quite a stretch. And they call that a gold period. And we, we base this off of actual history and then we just kind of take it a step further and uh, there are elves and trolls and uh, witches and wizards. And this is, uh, for Michael and I, when we started it, his interest was in the historical part and building on that. And my interest was in the magical part. And so we bring that together all the time. And I keep looking for odd, actual uh, historical stories that I can feed into it. So... In our series, at least, when you read something that uh, is historical, it, it's actually true. At least there's a group that believes it's true. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the uniqueness of the name. There, there are a lot of benefits that come to a completely unique name. It's, if you, uh, as you said, if you search for it, there's only one thing that's going to come up, and that's you guys. And that's right. the website. It's easy to get the domain because no one else has it. It's easy to get right. the Facebook page because no one else has it. Um, all the, you know, branding becomes easy because no one else has it. And if you hadn't made up a word, you'd be in conflict with all these other things. Right. And you'd be constantly wondering if people will head to the left or to the right. And the funny part too, is I, it's, it's now got such a presence that people are accepting it as if it's a real word. And even I forget that I, I made it up. 
So what what happened next? Did you immediately go out and register the domain and set up the Facebook page? Yes. Okay. And then what? We sat down and uh, talked out the first arc in general and the first book in particular. And And this is in a series that you and Michael are co-writing. Correct. And um, we talked about – we really talked about all the broad strokes, trying to project out – what we might want to do. And we mostly did that because we have set it up so that um, somewhere down the road we could do science fiction. So, that, you know, we, when you start an entire universe this thoughtfully, then you have to know what you might want to do so that you leave little uh, places where it could fit in. Mm-hmm. And so we needed to talk about all of that. And I also, we needed to talk a lot because I have a math learning disability and a lot of the first initial stuff depended on knowing the numbers. And it was difficult for me to catch on to how many years ago was that? And uh, so that took a while. We had to sit next to each other and he drew pictures. And so that was good for me because I normally won't tell people that. And I had to this time because, uh, we have, we have an incident that occurred 600 years ago. That's key to the whole thing and something that happened 13,800 years ago. And I kept confusing the two. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you have it now. I have it now. Thankfully. All right. So this, this is all like right around the first of the year, you're having these discussions and making these plans. This one. Yes. And our, so here's what we told each other. Definitely at first. We would not invite other writers until July. And we thought the first books would be out in April. No problem, because April was four months away. And two weeks after we said no until July, he said, I have a person. And I said, well, then I have a person. And then he calls me the next week and says, well, I have another. And I said, well, then I have another. So then we had four people and we didn't even know what we were doing. How do you pitch this universe to people when you don't know what you're doing? It speaks to how good Michael and I must be at pitching things because uh, we talked about the story. We talked about what they could do with us. And I guess these these initial people kind of knew us to a degree, knew our work. Um, one of the writers, Flint Maxwell, was aware of me because of the show, the series we did, you and I. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess it was the right four people because they were in and uh, they are now all of us right now are to a point where we understand how things work and two series are about to launch in a week and a half, but they just kind of hung with us. They would ask a question and and I, and Michael and I would have to go off to the side and say, well, how are we going to do this part? And so it was probably good that they were there because their questions helped us know what we needed to answer. Have had you done this kind of thing before? No. I mean, this is really complex and this so Michael has formed a hybrid between a traditional publishing house and indie. And it's so clever. Uh I know, you know, I've been around the business for about 30 years and after the internet and uh indie publishing, I'd always said someone's going to figure out how to solve this between traditional and indie, I, but I have no idea what they'll do. And Michael has solved it. But it's funny too that he is dominating, for example, the sci-fi categories, 
And I believe he's about to dominate the urban fantasy with LMBPN, the publishing. No one's noticed. So what he's done is he's made a um, 21st century publishing house that where the author thrives as well. And the author can even create their own little tiny franchise. It's amazing. Yes. And again, that's LMBPN Publishing. There's a website for that and everything. But most uh, 99.9% of the people listening to this show have never heard of that before. And it is, if you do a, do a search on that at Amazon, you'll see uh, a number of books. Um, but most people a just, number. A, a, a large number. And um, most, but most people just search on author names. So they, they know Michael because of uh, the fabulous success that he's had. And, you know, and how quickly it, it's come. But I don't think a lot of people know about the way he's formalized things. Um, and that's that's a story for another day. I'm going to have Michael on in, I think, November. We're going to try and schedule the show for the two year anniversary of the publication of his first book and sort of talk through everything that's happened during that two years. But I, I want to get back to where I was going with this, because as you said, it's, it's, it's complicated. And you're writing a series. These other authors are going to be writing their own unique series. And somehow or other, it all has to work together. And you're sort of the, the person in the middle of the spider web, making sure everything does work together. Yes. And how did you think all that through? How do you, how does someone else who wants to do this plan to do it and make it successful? I could be wrong, but I think having a thriller conspiracy background is actually helping because I was used to building plots where there were a lot of moving parts that uh, you couldn't be obvious about that had to come together in an organic way. So when I'm reading one person's book, I'm thinking about how it applies to someone's over there. And it also makes it possible to suggest to somebody, you know, you could do this. And it, it gives a nod to someone else's series without stepping on their toes. So it's really a question of being able to see the bigger picture and how everything fits together. All right. Now, how do you then manage this group of authors who are writing their own unique stories and their own unique series and see the way all of this is working without stepping on their toes, so to speak. And, and right. you know, th there could be a sense of, you know, I'm not able to do what I want to do uh, here with this series because someone's telling me what to do. And I, I know that's not your nature. So how, how are you managing that? So we first start by asking uh, somebody who's interested in joining the universe. We ask them first, do you have an idea for the, have you read the books that are out and do you have an idea? And we were talking to them when there were no books out. Mm -hmm. So, we so that was having... an easy answer. Yes, I've read them all. <laughs> <laughs> we were having to explain the basic premise, which always took a little while. And then we would say, why don't you think about what you might want to do with us and what characters you might be interested in doing. And uh, then they would come back with a nugget of an idea. And so uh, initially, Michael and I, with the first couple of, he and I together would expand on it. And we'd shoot out ideas, but with the idea that they could say no. But eventually, they got excited and would take off running. With the next two, I was able to... To duplicate what Michael and I had been doing together, he was able to go off and do what he needed to do, and 
run with the idea. And then I can, um, you know, it's that thing where when you're not the author, it's easier to come up with gems of ideas. <laughs> so we do the beats together. Mm -hmm. But my goal is only to try and help you get out of corners you're stuck in to make sure that you are adding enough of Orisarin or that you're following the kind of Anderley style of writing. But I don't want to cramp your creativity and to also make sure you haven't flown outside of the confines of the rules of Orisarin. All right, you mentioned the Anderley style of writing, and I don't, I don't really want to get into an in-depth study of, of writing technique, but he does have a unique style, and I know that that's something that you studied and, and you made an effort to, to use in your series, and now you're asking these other authors to sort of follow along because the readers have a certain expectation um, in, in reading books in, his, in universes that, that he's involved in. How... How do you do that? So I think it goes beyond his universe. I think it's a style of writing that people who read rapidly like. And I think that's why he has become a success that he is, is because he was one of those readers and that's the style he likes. And you do it by, um, you can, you can break some rules, which have actually turned out to be fun. You can break point of view in a scene. You don't have to stick to, to one point of view and there's no angst. So there's there's no interior thought where uh, the main character uh, worries over something, and uh, there's a, a a high level of loyalty and courage, and the the main character can stand on their own two feet. And since uh, I think almost every series, maybe every series, has a female protagonist in the two universes. It's very interesting that these are all female characters who are not begging somebody else to rescue them. Okay, so and and there's a certain amount of humor involved as well. And there's definitely a lot of humor. And there's in a lot series. of I don't know whether this is true in all of the series, but the the things that I've read, there seems to be a lot of pulp pop culture type references. It just seems right. to be a thing yes, that that recurs. Yes, that's recurred. another thing too. Yes, traditional will tell you don't do that because you date the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, Michael does exactly the opposite. So I took it to heart and ran with it. it and the funny thing is, it fits my person. So the way we're writing actually fits my personality more. It's snarky humor. <laughs> They're swearing. And Michael wanted me to point out the swearing is mine. Um, some of the reviews seem to imply that they think he added that. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I love doing the pop culture references and not not worrying about it. You just so there you're not as constricted by rules that uh, form this story. You just kind of let it all go and run. Okay, now let's let's do a comparison because the Wallace Jones series that we talked about with the Martha Carr experiment, those were six books. They were traditional thrillers. They were right. written using the traditional style. Um, with, you, you, with one exception <laughs> that I didn't realize I was making it probably an error. I, I, I did one thing that is not traditional and may have been what was the kiss of death with that series. Oh, not tying it up at the end of each book. Yes. Yes. It's half a million words of one long story for everyone out there listening. Yes. Let's compare 
that series and this series. The, your new series, the, the first book you launched, which was a prequel, kind of a, a book zero, and it was released July 30th? July 31st. Okay, we are recording this. Which is one year to the day that Michael and I met. Oh, okay. How about that? So you, mm-hmm. you've done a lot in the last year. Yeah. Okay, so that was the first book, which was book zero. Uh, right. Four or five days later, I think, was book one. August 3rd was book one. Yes. So Okay, and then a week, two weeks later, two weeks? August, August 14th. Okay, was book two, and book three is coming. This, this show is going to go out on Monday, and I think your book's coming out on the Wednesday. The new book's Correct. coming out on Wednesday. So Correct, August 30th. Three books in essentially 30 days, three full-length novels plus the, the prequel, the book Zero. And how much revenue did the six-book Wallace Jones make <laughs> so far this month? What's, what's the revenue? Uh, $154 and change. Each book? No, together, all together. <laughs> okay, I, I set you up for that one because I knew that ahead of time. All right, now, Aura Saren, I like to actually see the numbers, so I have the numbers sitting in front of me out of uh, Book Report or Book Report or whatever it is. And how much, what's the total revenue through yesterday for the the three books that are out, the, the book for zero the two, and one and really, two. Really, two and a half books two and a half that half are books. out. Yeah. Because one is 90, permanently 99 cents. Mm-hmm. And uh, the total is, uh, I think, 10400 Am I right? $10,554.94. Huh? There you go. That's as of yesterday. Um, probably, if you were going to extrapolate that out between now and the end of the month, not counting uh, revenue from the new book, you'll probably be around $12,000 for the first month in this yes. new series. And Wallace Jones might get to 160 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so you use the data that, uh, that you learned. You made a massive pivot, and things are going a little bit better in this, in this new universe. Just a little. All right, and these are right now the only books out in the universe. Um, beginning in September, how many books are being released in the universe that aren't yours? Two. Okay. Two books or two series? Two series. All right. So the universe will be expanding in, right. in September. And then in October, there, two are, more. there are more. So these are the authors that some of – I guess they all approached either you or Michael at, at some point earlier in the year, and, and their books are getting ready to come out. Correct. Okay. Um, when you talked to them, what were the expectations that what, – what did you lead them to believe would happen from this? We made a point of saying in the beginning, we can't, we can't be sure what will happen because we couldn't, and we didn't want to set anybody up for expectations that weren't true. So we made a point of saying that over and over again. We said we will do the best we can. Um, the benefits will be that you have a back office and that uh, we will help you with covers and we will collaborate with you and we'll teach you this style. And and we hope it will do this, but uh, we're going to do the best we can. And it's still that way. I mean, uh, the first book comes out on September 6th from Sarah Nofke. The second series comes out on September 8th with Abby Lynn Knorr, who writes under A.L. Knorr. 
and we'll know as they come out. We don't want to guarantee anyone anything. That's just not fair to them. Okay, but in over the course of the last eight months, you've put together the website. You've, you will have published four books. Uh, there is a, a growing Facebook community sure that, that's grown seemingly very quickly. I, it seemed like you started it a couple of months ago, and it's, it's a vibrant community that seems to really like the books. Yes, they seem to be ravenous about the books. And what's a nice trend is that they are starting to talk about them like they belong to them mm -hmm. and not us. And uh, sometimes now, too, the uh, fans are talking to each other in the posts on Facebook, not to me as much, but to each other. And that's all great. And, you know, we are doing fun things like people who get the troll mug because they win it on release day. We give out mugs for posting the link, mm -hmm. are doing selfies that they send me and I post. So we're starting to do fun stuff like that, too. And. Um, it's fun to see in so many reviews, where's the next book and the book's been out for two days and they've already yes. read it and yes. they want to know where the next one is. All right. Let's talk about the troll and we're going to do this without swearing. I promise. Uh, but could you tell the, the sort of the backstory for how the troll came to be and how he came to have his name? It is a he, right? It, it is a he. And okay. the troll is, uh, five inches tall and little furry and green hair and uh is from Orisarin and uh in the very first in in book 0 uh Lyra is told by a light elf named Korik that you don't rescue trolls you don't help them because then they're attached to you forever and uh, she inadvertently does and the troll um follows her back to earth and they're tiny and mischievous, but they also can, they're also very, very loyal and protective and can grow to enormous and uh, claw and teeth filled size. And uh, the troll can speak, but it's learning to speak English. And it tends to say, repeat the words that are said with the most emphasis. So it's a swearing little troll. <laughs> and the name, how did you come up with the name? The troll also likes to eat anything, and it, it has no discretion. I kept having it say the word we can't say and yum, and it just struck me as funny to put them together. And then Michael read that and laughed, laughed his head off, and he said, let's name it that. And so I went back on a book that wasn't out yet and named it all over the place, and he gave it the middle name of Tiberius, which is James T. Kirk's middle name. And we just thought that was hilarious. Yum, blank, Tiberius, troll. And the, the name will be in the show notes. The reason I'm so hesitant about it is because I know that, that some of you out there listen in your cars where you have children with you or you're doing the dishes or whatever. And so we want to avoid swearing on the show. But if you want to see the name, and I'll, I'll, I'll put an image of one of the coffee mugs up there as well so that you can see the little darling. And... Uh, but it, and you, it, can read, you can read the book and also learn the name that way. You, yes, even better. You can read the book. It's only 99 cents for the first book. Holy That's cow. That's right. All right. And it's, it's in Kindle Unlimited. Um, <clears throat> and, and also, I do want to point out that on the first rele on the release day of every book in, in uh, the old Cartharian universe and in Orisarin, the books are always 99 cents for 24 hours. So if you join the Facebook page, 
um, you'll know when release days are, and you can get full-length books for 99 cents in that 24-hour period. And that's uh, let's let's emphasize that point because there are a lot of people that watch Michael Anderley and wonder what he's doing and wonder how he's doing it and, and wonder how all these things work together. But one of the things he's done from the very beginning is that 24-hour period, 99-cent thing for the true fans. So the true fans can get the book for 99 cents, and he, does, he makes every possible effort to let them know that there's a new book, get it for 99 mm-hmm. cents, and then the next day. So it's not like some sneaky thing where you're just getting it out to a few people who can buy it and leave reviews really quick. This is blasted out over the, mm-hmm. the Facebook universe. Yes. And it is for the true fans to build a library of these books. And it's yes. something that works pretty well. And in, in the case of book zero, you've decided to leave it at 99 cents. It's a shorter book. It's 18,000 words. It's a nice intro to the universe. And uh, we just wanted to do it and see what happens. And so we're using it in promotionals when book three comes out on Wednesday. And it's, so it's become convenient because it's priced at 99 cents. But, uh, you know, that's a, also an example that Michael and I are willing to try different things. We're not locked into a template that doesn't breathe there's just some main things we stick to. And, of course, as the data comes in, you're willing to adjust. Absolutely. All right. I talked to some of your co-authors, the people who are writing in the universe, and I asked them some questions. I asked them, for example, um, what concerns they had. Uh, Sarah Boyce, uh, she said her primary concern was autonomy. She doesn't like to be too limited with her writing and creative options. Otherwise, she'd feel stifled and wouldn't create her best work. So it was important for her to be allowed to create new things with autonomy. How, do you, how were you able to satisfy that need within her? So she came to us with an idea. So we told her the background. We did with her what we'd done with others. We told her the basic story, and uh, she thought about it, came to us with a really clever idea that I will save for when her book launches because it's super clever. And then she and I worked on the beats, and uh, I threw out ideas to her, which she loved, which built on what she had already started. And so it became even more fun for her because uh, the world started to become real and get filled from all sides. And so, and, and she gets to own it. I guess you have to be somebody who sees it as an asset if somebody suggests things to you that could work. You don't have to feel like I did every last thing in this book. It's just me. Uh, here's the thing I've learned from doing this series by myself and doing this universe. Working in a participation and cooperation is a lot more fun. Um, I can, uh, I've been writing for a long time, and now I can talk to Michael, who I collaborate with, and, he, and I'm kind of stuck on something, and he'll throw out five ideas because he's not tired or he hasn't been thinking about it all, uh, for days. And so it just dawns on him, and then I get rejuvenated and can go back and do something goofy. Usually the troll. Usually what we do is the troll. That's one of the things that came up as I was asking these questions. Um, you know, one of the questions was, what's good about it? And uh, of, of working in, in a multi-author universe situation like this. And one of the things was being able to bounce ideas off people. Where for one person that might be uh, stifling 
creatively uh, for, for the other person. It might be, wow, this is so great to just be able to pop ideas out and get instant feedback from, from people who are writing in the same universe. So it really does become sort of a collaborative thing. Well, if you have a good idea, how much better is it if somebody steps in and says, you know, you could do this and this and this. I'm never suggesting it like you have to. And if you don't like it, I throw it out immediately and then I go in another direction and, and just see if I can help you flesh it out till you have a fully functioning, colorful, we can all see it kind of world going. What's the expectation for you as the person who is sort of at the middle of the universe in, in terms of working with the authors going forward? I assume there's, uh, your plan is to spend more time working with the authors on the first book than the second book and the third book and so on, but that may not be the case. It's, it kind of depends. I know that in Critherian, there have been writers who are new to writing, and, and my, maybe it's book three or four where they really feel comfortable enough to step out more. We have, we're starting with four established writers, so that's maybe not so much the case. But my, my expectation when, you're new, when you want to join with us is are you willing to work with us? It, the series is kind of your own little business, but you're working in an interconnected way. So are you willing to work with us? And that willingness is key. Okay. Um, another thing that came up was expectations. And I asked you about this earlier, how you sort of set the expectations. But there, there are a couple different ways of looking at expectations. Sarah Boyce again said, it's important that we know who's in charge of what and what their role is inside the universe. How have you sort of divvied things up in, inside the universe? I manage the universe for the most part because, uh, again, Michael has an entire publishing house and an entire other universe. And uh, so, but I constantly check in with him. Uh, so, because it is new too, and we want, you know, I know we're setting precedents. And, so we want to do this together, but I do my best to manage uh, what needs to be done. Are you there? Are you are you up to where you hope to be? But it's not with the idea that you have to be. So, like for example, um, if you set a publishing date, another author in September, and you're finding that's kind of crushing, and you need a little more time, that's fine. It's not, we have no expectation, like a traditional publishing house, once you're locked into a pub date, you're locked in. Yes. And that is not at all the case with us. We suggest the, well, we'll, no, that's not even true. We'll tell you the most optimal way to build an audience that constantly comes back to you like they're on fire is once a month. But if your lifestyle doesn't support that and you need every six weeks or every eight weeks, and that's the reality, and you can still work with us. So my, uh, uh, so we really are trying to have a certain amount of trust that everything's going to work out fine, and my, that's how I approach each author. And, and like, for example, uh, Michael generally does the typesetting for the eBooks, as you know. But Sarah Boyce wants to do it herself, and we said, fine. And I personally have had the experience more than once of thinking I ought to, because I co-created this with Michael. I should be carrying my weight. I'll do this. And Michael will say, why are you doing that? 
And then I realized, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I can delegate that and let it go. And he's right. And so it's been a huge learning curve for me to become comfortable with not doing everything. And because you have a group of established authors in there, they all bring their own strengths and experiences uh, as a group. Do you have people, for example, who are like really good with Facebook ads or like you mentioned the, the one author yeah. who wanted to do her own typesetting, uh, things like that? Are, are, you, are you taking advantage of, of those skills inside the, inside the universe for the good of all? We definitely are. Uh, Sarah Boyce, who writes under SM Boyce, she is doing a side role as well as author in doing the social media for us. And she's extremely well organized and very knowledgeable on that. And so it will help us be consistent and make sure that we are constantly trying to grow the audience. Um, uh, Abby Lynn Knorr, who writes under A.L. Knorr, her uh, previous background is in branding, and so mm. we've asked her a lot of questions. So, yeah, it, it's there's no um, – to a large degree, there's no we're, – we're all fellows among fellows, I guess is the best way to say it. No, There's nobody better than, less than. And we – if you have a good idea and today's your first day of writing, we still want to hear your idea. And there's a good chance we'll do it if we can. Mm. Okay. Um, Abby Lynn Noor also mentioned in terms of expectations, the secret of collaborating successfully lies in setting honest and realistic expectations on all sides. And it, it seems like that's something you've, you've been able to do. Um, well, well, they're all still here, so I guess so. Yes. I asked, another question I asked was, what's the appeal of writing in a new universe? And Abby Lynn Noor, um, the appeal to me lies in trying something different than the series I've been publishing by myself. I'm experimenting with third-person perspective, intentionally injecting more humor, allowing my style to become more relaxed. So I guess that's something, that, that's a benefit that I wouldn't have thought of. It's just you're able to kind of let yourself go a little yes. bit and, and try something completely different that is not what your, your existing series might uh, lead people to expect right. from you. Right. And that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, you don't have to think so hard. You don't have to be so serious. You don't have to constantly say, am I following the rules, even instinctively? You really can just have more fun and just, you know, have a good time and really be creative. Make up a spell. You know, it's fun. Uh, Sarah Nofke, who is, is she publishing a book in September? September 6th, which is also my birthday, so and a full moon, whatever that means. I'm not, I'm not going to touch that. Um, <laughs> one of the things that she says is having a team of authors has been great before I was an island as a writer. Now I can message the people in the group and get answers and direction. That's the biggest appeal to me. And then she says sharing our reader base and growing this together is also really enticing. So because you're bringing in four authors with four established reader bases, I mean, mm -hmm. that's something that you can utilize to help to build the universe. And also because uh, Flint Maxwell's books are doing quite well, and he writes zombie books. And we found a way to fit him into the universe. You'll just have to see how without going <laughs> weird. Uh -huh. 
And uh, Sarah Nofke's books are more fantasy than urban fantasy, and she has a following. And Abby Lynn's got quite a nice following, and she's been writing in uh, Succeeding in Young Adult. Mm -hmm. And so you can see where they're all in the fantasy, urban fantasy realm, but it's, it's, yeah, everybody's going to start to get to know each other. It's really amazing what can happen when you're willing to share. Now, uh, one thing that Flint Maxwell said that I, I, I found interesting is that being the first into the new universe means that they're trailblazers and, and they're setting in motion and laying a groundwork for future authors who will be coming into the universe. And that's kind of a cool right. thing. That is a cool thing. Right. And uh, I think it's cool that Michael led by example, and I followed his example, that we were more than okay with letting them do that. I was having a conversation with Abby Lynn today about Troublesome Prison and realized that uh, whatever is going to run Troublesome Prison, we had talked about it briefly, but it hasn't been set in stone. And so she's going to get to do that. And then everybody else who might use that prison will have to follow her rules. And that's kind of fun. She was very delighted to be able to think of something hideous. <laughs> now, when you say I was talking with Abby Lynn today, are you like actually on the phone or are you using Skype? What kind of technology do you use? Uh, because you've got these writers are all around the world and you're communicating. So what do, what do you use to do that? So we use uh, Skype and we use Slack, mostly Slack. We, when I say talking, we were going back and forth in Slack. Okay. And we also use Zoom. Okay. Is that, that's, yeah, Zoom that's, is, uh, for people that don't know, Zoom is like a video conferencing system. It's super easy to use, and it allows you to record things. And I think you're using it for some training purposes as well. Right. But we've also used it, <clears throat> excuse me, we've also used it to communicate with um, artists. Mm-hmm. When that was the most convenient way for them to talk to us. Okay, artists. Why do you have artists involved in this? Because uh, covers are key. Okay, but it's not just covers. You've you've had other things like you know, there's the troll and things like that. So it's it's not just cover art. Um, there's other art. That's true. And I'm, I I happen to know that that you started contracting with artists. Several months ago, way before there was the in need the for a cover. Yeah. In the beginning. We actually, towards the very beginning, talked to Andreas Roca, who is in Portugal, about doing a painting of the this big battle scene for a key part in the history we were making up. And it's gorgeous. He's such a – he um, his other job is doing the paintings for the covers of Lego boxes. <laughs> really? He did this amazing painting for us that we used on the website for a while, at least as a placeholder. Uh, you know, we started with nothing. So we were uh, grabbing art and sticking it up there just to say, here we are. It was, it's amazing how far we've come. We look like we've been around a while. Another thing that's, that we've talked about a couple of times is, is the idea of keeping all the, the storyline straight and managing all of that. Are you using some technology for that? We are. We're using um, Story Shop, and we started that at the beginning. And it's a, it's also a, it's even helpful for me when I'm on book three to go back and remember what I named something and how it works. And it makes it easier for me to make sure to go back and use some small detail from another book. It just makes it more fun for the reader to see it pop up again. This way, too. 
new writers will be able to go in and mine the fields of insects or uh, places and they'll be able to tell what's already been done and where can they add. And before anybody puts anything in Story Shop, they come to me so that I can say that that already conflicts with what someone else is doing. You need to adjust this. And it's a Bible. We call it the Bible. Okay. Now, I, I've heard the name Story Shop. I know it's from Sean Platt, Johnny Truitt, and, and David Wright. Um, the, the Sterling and Stone guys, but I don't know what it does. I've never used it. Can you sort of describe it? Sure, sure. So you can uh, you have a place for elements and you have a place for characters. And then you can connect the elements and characters amongst themselves uh, with keywords so that if you're looking up, if you want to know what was in the Lyra Chronicles, that's one way. Or if you want to just know who's related to Lyra herself, there's connections that way. If you want to know where these particular insects were used, you can look up that. In other words, there's a lot of interconnectivity, so you don't have to do the hunting yourself. And it will give you the relationships within the stories. And it just makes it all a lot easier. And you can also add a picture. And we often add pictures of the way we, the, if you're the original, you add the picture. And it gives the next person an idea, a visual idea, too, of, of what you had in mind. Okay. And this is uh, like a web-based thing, right? It's a web-based yes. service that, that's yes. – uh, it's, not, it's not free. It's a paid service. Correct. And we gave um, the editors we use access as well so that if they have a question about whether or not an author has gone you know, too far in a direction, is it – does it conflict with because the uh, the editors are reading the chronicles of Lyra the Lyra chronicles, and so this gives them the means to also check and go back to the author and say this conflicts we need to adjust so that's another way we keep a, a universe straight. We anticipate having a lot of authors at some point, so we knew from day one we needed a way to help everybody know what was happening. You've been doing this since the beginning of the year. It's it's yes. been an education for you, and and we've sort of laid out what you have done. If you were starting over today, would you do any of it differently? No, I wouldn't do any of it differently. I don't think that's possible because I came at this with no real understanding, and I knew it. So the only thing I could do was uh, just keep going and put one foot in front of the other and, and make sure I was having fun along the way, because there was always the possibility this would do what Wallace Jones did and go. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't make it like my happiness depends on this. That was never the case. And so I just kept saying, you know, you're having fun, just keep going. And uh, so, you know, it took us a while to find artists that we were really happy with. And I think that was the hardest part for us for a while. And we just had to say, we'll find them. So I went to Pinterest. That's where I found Andreas and a couple of other people and just mined Pinterest and wrote people, here's our budget. What do you think? And the funny part too is people worked with our budget. I asked people who normally get paid more by large corporations and they agreed to do fun stuff with us. You can always ask, they can always say no. Is there anything that you learned over the course of the first eight months that you wish you had learned sooner? Like maybe something you learned in May that you wish you knew in January? 
No, no, because uh, everything is built on everything else. Everything to me, at least, maybe Michael would have a different answer, but to me, everything has built beautifully. There, I mean, there were hiccups, but there's been nothing where I say, I would say I really regret that. No, not at all. And the books are out and people love them. I, I mean, I'm still getting used to the idea that people love them as much as they do. It's not, it's not something you take in like right away. Uh, um, I'm not sure when you do, maybe it's because I'm still writing so fast. I don't have time to look over my shoulder. Maybe that's good, but you know, each book has at least 40 some reviews. And I think quest has 66 at this point. And for the vast majority, uh, it's all, uh, Oh my God, I love this. Where's the next one. Mm-hmm. And that, that takes a while to kind of really sink in. Um, Hey, I think this is working. And Michael keeps making the point to me. Um, when you get that first check, make sure you spend a little on something fun. And he's right. It can, you know, you can get so focused on, okay, I need to get the next one out and I need to help these authors. Cause I want to, I really do. Michael and I both really want to see them succeed wildly too, that you lose um, the idea of celebrating, which is why I purposely held a party a couple weeks ago to celebrate, um, the new series. And Michael came and some other 20 books to 50 K people came and neighbors, and it was just a potluck. And we all stood around and said, you know, yay. And it was just to make sure there was a moment of celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what has, I mean, you've talked a little bit about the reaction of, of readers, um, but what, what has it meant to you personally to, to get this kind of reaction? And has there been anything specific that, that came up where you just went, wow, I'm, you know, my books are making a difference in someone's life. Yeah. Um, so uh, two things. Michael makes a big point about author notes and Michael's author notes are generally humorous. And I struggled with that in the first few months, because I'm not very good at talking about myself in a humorous way. I'm good at writing in fiction and humor, but I'm not. And so I just had to go with what I am good at, which is earnest. Mm -hmm. So I wrote my off, uh, you know, he and I talked and he agreed with me. You have to be yourself. So that's what I did. And I was surprised at how many people mentioned the author notes in the Amazon review. And then how many people wrote me on Facebook in um, private messages to encourage me? Hmm. And um, it can choke me up a little because and uh, and I'm not used to that. I'm not used to like being very vulnerable. I'm used to the traditional author where you sit there nicely and you smile and make jokes. And there's an ivory tower somehow surrounding you. Yes. And there's no ivory tower here. And so, uh, one gentleman wrote and, uh, you know, there was a lot of misspelling and he said, uh, he'd had a severe stroke last October, but he was writing to, you know, and it does chuck me up. He was writing to encourage me. So that someone takes time out of their day to who's struggling to make sure I'm okay um, because I wrote in the second author notes and, uh, Michael said, I author blocked him, um, because I wrote about, um, surviving, um, six bouts of cancer and once being told I was terminal 
you know, and what it meant to be, I'm 57. I'll be 58 in a, another week. Oh, you're and, a child. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're in the room. Yes. And, yes. And in the LMBPN stratosphere, as long as you're in the room. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm the oldest. The other thing that surprised me about the readers, because these books are very funny. They're, they're, they are. They're very funny. They weren't meant to um, make you think that hard. And they're meant to be fun. I am, to this day, very surprised at how many people write, um, I'm having a really hard week. This book really helped. Or a private message that said, this person, uh, it was a private message, so I won't say any details. But they are going through a really rough time. And they said the only way they sleep at night is by reading these books. Well, what's better than that? Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned you started this out by talking about the author notes. And that's something that Michael started doing way back with the, the first book in the Catharian Gambit. And it's something that I see way too rarely. I mean, this is something that people should be copying because it yes. really connects you to readers in a way yes. that nothing else can. I mean, it's, it's more than the story. It's it, just like what you said. And, you know, you were vulnerable and, and you took a risk in doing this. And all of a sudden people feel like they know you and they want to support you. And it wasn't, yes. it wasn't done for that purpose. It, w it no. was done because that's what, that's what you wanted to do with, with the author notes. But now you are building this real community and people people look at the Cretharian Gambit community and just say that's crazy no one could replicate that it's it's just right. you know it's a one in a million things it's a one in a million thing but people are replicating it people are doing the same things and using and and using using things like the author notes as a way of connecting at a, at a deeper level with an audience and being there to respond to their messages and, and things. Yeah. And, and I, I guess that's probably one of the reasons that the Orisaran community is, is being built so quickly. And it's, it's just going to get even grow even larger as the more books and more author notes and, and more great stories come yeah. along. And I, and I'll point something out too. Um, so I looked at my Cretharian cousins at who seemed to be more easily connecting to their readers and why. And it was the people who were being the, the, their most genuine self. It was, some people are funny. Some mm -hmm. people are sincere. It's not that they were being the exact same. It's that they were willing to be vulnerable. And like I said, that's not normally my strong suit in crowds. And so I had to make a conscious decision to, I, it actually has taken me practice to do it. And, um, it's been really rewarding to, to see what happens. So I keep having to treat it as if I was talking to a friend and they've become friends. So in, in what's, what's the expectation, the author expectation, um, one book, two books, three books, if, if someone oh, comes into your universe, that's a great question. So we set, we set it up so that. We do it in 12 book arcs, but, a, but our 12 book kind of large arc and then three smaller four book arcs so that if you do four books and it really is not doing what you hoped, 
you did something complete where the readers who do like it don't feel like they were dropped off suddenly. And so, and it's more bite-sized. So you plan out a smaller arc that's only four books long, Mm -hmm. and then you start another arc that's four books long. And, and you just keep going as long as you like it as the author and the readers are responding. Okay. All right. So it, it could be anywhere then from four to 12 and presumably beyond if somebody's series I, absolutely just crushes yeah, it. Yeah. I think Michael Anderley just released book 18. Yes. Yes. And uh, well, if you look at the back of the books, it lists the books all the way out to 21. So who knows what's going to happen after that? There you go. Martha, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Uh, no, um, I think we covered it. Oh, there is one thing I do want to add if, if, so, um, you know, especially if you've been writing for a while, you've got an idea of what you think works, what you think doesn't. And I made a conscious decision when Michael asked me to do this, that I would put that to the side and, uh, I would do whatever he was doing and not ask myself, well, how could we do it better? And there were lots of days where it's like an instant thing where you can feel it, where you can let your brain go, well, what about this? And I just refused to do it. And I'd say, okay, and I'd go and do it. And, and that means that I trusted that somewhere in the future that I couldn't see yet, it would all turn out okay. And I think That is key. So our first book came out on July 31st, one year to the day when we met. On the day we met, we've said before, there were 90 authors in the room, 90 authors. And Michael said at the end, I'll stay as long as anyone has a question. And I had a teenager with me and I thought, well, I can't stay because I have to get her back. But and because I, I thought he I thought he'd have a crowd running at him. I turned around and noticed there were two people. And I said, I'll be right back. And I went up there and talked to him. And I heard other people leaving saying, it can't be done. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Basically, that was kind of the thing. Or I've got my own way of doing it. And I was the, out of the th- I asked him this recently before the first book came out. Out of the three of us, which one are you in touch with the other two? And he said no. So it's. I just want to say, if you are struggling, if you feel like, People like your books. Why aren't they selling? Um, I would suggest that you find someone who is succeeding and drop the idea you know anything and that it's a reflection of you. Of you. I never thought it was a reflection of me. I always thought it's like the data. I hadn't figured out. I hadn't found the right path yet, mm-hmm. and I was willing to stop trying to do it all myself and just follow behind somebody. And be humble. I mean, the number of times Michael has said, why are you doing that? Hmm. Are quite a few. And I had to be willing to sit, to go back and say, and do it differently. And, uh, it, and the cool thing too, is that has influenced the rest of my life because you start to ask yourself, where am I doing more than I need to be? Where could I be more cooperative? Hmm. That's it. That's the thing I wanted to add. That's good. And I would not have had a question that could have brought that out other than what did I not ask you. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you added that. That's, um, that's really good. Uh, Martha, you've got uh, the third book, the third full-length novel is coming out on Wednesday. What's the title and where can people get it? It is Protection of Magic. It is available on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. And like I said, if you buy it on the 30th, it's 99 cents for those 24 hours. And if you post a link 
on either my author page, Martha Carr, or on the Or Saren Facebook page, we do a random drawing and you might win a troll mug with his name on it. <laughs> and then um, what's the best place for people to find you online? Is it Facebook or is there a website? Facebook is the absolute best way. Um, you'll notice that it says has a very good response time. So I will, I respond to everybody and uh, we can even have a conversation and I posted um, today, my iPhone decided to uh, keel over for a while there today. It's kind of old. And um, I posted that uh, just some post about um, people keep asking what I'm going to do with, uh, with the money at first. And I said, um, pay off debt, you know, all that cancer stuff. And the, but the iPhone had a different idea. And a fan wrote uh, on the post underneath, cancer stuff, are you okay? Um, again. And so she clearly had read the author notes and was concerned, and I was really touched that somebody noticed and was worried because they feel like we know each other. And Mm -hmm. the weird thing is I feel like I know them now too. So um, Michael and I have talked about I have this idea in next August or September we're going to try and do a fan day where we actually are going to gather in one place where the fans can finally meet the authors in person. We're going to see if we can put that together. And that's just because of this community we've built. That would be fun. Now, uh, before we before we leave, I want to talk old person running for a little bit. You are training right. for a race. Yes. And uh, tell us about that. And you're not so, you're not a lifelong runner, I take it. No, I'm a I run for a few years, I stop. Okay. I run for a few years, I stop. And um and also one of the operations I had for cancer, they removed a lot of the muscle in uh, my leg and so I had to relearn how to walk. Mm. And that cut off the running the last time. And I wear a knee brace now uh, when I do run. And so I wanted to run a 5K. And my son, uh, who I call the offspring all the time, he wanted to run with me. And then an author from the Cursarian side, Krishan Keller Hanna, she wanted to run. So we're going to do a bubble run together. And um, I get out there and... Frankly, even when I was at my top form of running, you could walk really fast <laughs> next to me and we'd be side by side. Um, so when I'm running alone, I feel very, very fast. But I'm, I'm fully aware um, that when I'm in a race, what I can say to myself is there are still people behind me. And that's important. That is, uh, that is really important as someone who has used that himself in, in races. <laughs> Although in a marathon, the sweeper is an honored position. You know what the sweeper is. I know what the sweeper is because I've done some, some biking. And uh, my wife, when we do it together, is always the sweeper. Well, the sweeper is the very, very last runner in a marathon. And that is an honored position because if you're the sweeper, everybody else has already gone home. There's nobody probably cheering you on, except at the very end, a lot of us runners will come out and cheer you on because you didn't actually walk off the course. You kept running and finished, and you finished probably alone. The announcer's probably still there to say your name. It's just no one's there. Only a bunch of people are there to hear it. And I would be willing to bet that in this bubble run that you will be in the top 5% of cancer survivors, multi-time cancer survivors, in right. terms of finishing time. So, 
Well, um, I've got one last thing to say about that, too, that you should say that. So there's a great organization called Immerman's Angels. It's nonprofit. It's free. It hooks up people undergoing cancer with cancer survivors. And you can say, I would like to talk to somebody who's lost a, a limb, or I'd like to talk to somebody who's pregnant with cancer, whatever qualifications you have. And there are people, I, uh, I volunteer with them now as a cancer survivor. And there, are, it's so you can have someone to talk to who's already been down the road and uh, talk, not talk medical stuff, just talk about how you feel without mm -hmm. torturing your family and family members can find someone to talk to and it's all free. So the gentleman that they hooked me up with, he's lost a leg up to his hip and he does, um, triathlons and uses a, he has, he goes through so many machinations to be able to do it and does it cheerfully. And because of my experience with them, I donate all my free audibles mm -hmm. to the organization and they give them to people who are undergoing cancer treatment, um, so that they have something to do while they're sitting there, uh, getting chemo. So if you have, um, Immerman's Angels is just such a great organization and any chance I get to do a shout out for them, I'm thrilled to do it. All right. And I will link to that in the show notes as well. And what a great use of those free audible codes for, for people. And maybe that's something other people could consider doing as well right. because so many of them just languish and, and do nothing. Martha, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, let's do it again in six months and see how things have gone. Yeah, I mean, based on where we were the last time you and I talked, who knows where we'll be six months from now. And according to Craig Martell, in about a year and four months, maybe we'll be sitting in Bali and do an episode. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We've been speaking with Martha Carr, the co-creator of the Aura Saren Universe. Uh, we will have links to everything we mentioned during the show, including Martha's new series, Immerman's Angels, and anything else I can think of to link in the show notes, as well as some covers for the new uh, Aura Saren world uh, at theauthorbiz.com. Thank you so much for listening. 